Welcome to the podcast for a better life. I'm Chris Johnson. If you're interested, both the book and film version of A Better Life are available at theatheistbook.com. On today's episode, I speak with Kevin Bowling of the Secular Student Alliance. Kevin Bowling is the executive director of the Secular Student Alliance, a national nonprofit organization which serves student chapters around the country, assisting atheist, agnostic, and non-religious students at high schools and universities. I asked him to talk a bit about the organization and their mission. The Secular Student Alliance is a nonprofit organization uh, in the secular community, and we work with student chapters all across the country. So we have right now about 275 student chapters, and those are in high schools, colleges, and universities. And it's a place for this, for students to come together and organize, for them to find people who are like themselves and share sort of common values, uh, and especially you know regarding a, a secular uh, identity, and, and then really for them to be active on the on their campus. So whether it's having discussions and debates. Uh, and getting involved with other organizations and interfaith work, or get you know also getting involved in the community in community service projects and uh, you know and working with the community to help make it a better place. And so we're really privileged to be able to work with an amazing group of students and student leaders um, all across the country who are really sort of active and energized and involved in their communities and sort of making their campuses better places. So what resources does the National Group provide to the student chapters? We try to provide uh, resources for new organizations who are starting. So to um, give them sort of easy ways and easy resources to be able to start quickly. Um, We help with our staff helps in helping navigate um, their campus and what the requirements are uh, for there, so to make that process nice and easy. And then we also try to, for new organizations, we try to help them uh, with a little advertising to get up and started and running. Um, and then we have some educational material on you know, how, to, how to have meetings and how to publicize and general leadership sorts of things so that they're often sort of running and, and started. For our uh, sort of established groups, We have a speakers bureau, so we have a lot of uh, people in the secular community and some outside the secular community who uh, work with our student organizations, give them sort of reduced rates on their typical speaking tours and speaking fees um, so that they can have those sort of uh, things at their campuses. we also have a, uh, re- a lot of resource guides, so a variety of um, programs and activities that they can do on their campuses. So some of those sort of very atheist and humanist based and some of those sort of progressive um, intersectional uh, sort of activities and working with other organizations um, on their campuses and their communities. Uh, we also, during the summer, we provide uh, a series of scholarships uh, so S- the SSA has their own scholarships, and we also work with a couple of organizations within the psychic community to help them facilitate scholarships for uh, students. And so that happens in the summer. And then our sort of big program in the summer is also our national conference, which is primarily uh, targeted towards students and involves lots of leadership activities, uh, organizing, uh, activism, uh, sort of all with that sort of secular, atheist, humanist uh, bend. So taking a little step backwards to talk about you, can you tell me a little bit bit about your 
background. Where did you grow up? And did you grow up in a religious household? I did grow up in a religious household. My uh, family was, I was very Catholic. So um, I was an altar boy for years growing up. Um, and so uh, my, you know, I think w one thing my mother always taught us to sort of question what the church was talking about. Um, so she didn't really uh, agree with a lot of the, the Catholic Church's stance on women uh, and their sort of non-involvement in the church. Um, and so she often questioned that. And so I think that sort of, she always taught us to sort of question. And so as, you know, as I sort of grew up and um, sort of looked at things within the church and through my own coming out process of being gay, again, sort of questioned what the church was saying and a little bit of the hypocrisy of, of what they sort of preach as the, you know, ideals and then what, how they sort of live that out in excluding lots and lots of people. Um, so I think, you know, that, I, that was a, a start, I think, of my deconversion and looking at the church and just that, I, that hypocrisy. And I think a lot of young people today, when they look at sort of injustice in the world, whether it's regarding women or on racial lines or LGBT, um, immigration, those sorts of things, again, I think they see a lot of that hypocrisy as well. Um, but for me, it was my, you know, uh, I think non-religious uh, sort of coming out, if you will, um, was sort of a slow sort of process um, and just sort of putting the pieces slowly together that, yeah, maybe this, you know, starting out, okay, so I don't buy into this. I don't agree with everything that's being saying. And then sort of, you know, going, okay, this doesn't, these are a lot of stories that don't make a lot of sense. And what's the, you know, what's the evidence behind this? And what are we really talking about and going, okay, this just, I just don't buy into this anymore. So I think it was a sort of a long, you know, a long sort of, and for me, an unintentional, per, unintentional journey. Mm -hmm. And I think for some people in the community, it's, you know, it's very intentional and it's very impactful. And so it's a little bit different for me, but I think still leads me to the place where I, you know, I value uh, critical thinking. Uh, I value, us, you know, looking at the facts and making informed decisions and, and doing that on an ongoing basis that we may, you know, we may change how we see things in the, in the long run based on that. Um, and just also making sure that what I'm doing on a daily basis, I'm, I'm doing good. I'm improving the world I'm in while I'm now. And I, you know, I want to leave it a better place before I go. Was it a difficult process, uh, kind of losing your faith with your family or was that you know, did did you said your mom was very critical of the church as well? Did she eventually become non-religious as well, or what was that experience like? I, for uh, my family is still has still remained uh, somewhat religious. I think uh, I think you know there's been a, a slight progression for them and um, how participatory they are in the church. Some of that I think was you know um, sort of my coming out as gay and how I was how their perception of the church was treating LGBT people just in general. Um, so, but I think they sort of ebb and flow um, with that. I don't think, you know, uh, you know, me being, you know, uh, an atheist is, you know, I don't think was that big of a deal to them. Um, so I'm sure in the back of their, you know, they'd much rather prefer that I sort of continue to believe in those sorts of things. But, you know, I'm, I'm an adult and I make my own decisions and I think they respect that. And did you also travel a lot growing up as well? I did. My father was in the military, so we traveled quite a bit um, when I was growing up. And so um, 
probably about every you know every four years we were uh, moving someplace new. So I sort of lived uh, lived up and down the East Coast, um, and then uh, Puerto Rico when we were young, and then most of my high school experience was actually on a naval base in Spain. So um, grew, yeah, tra- traveling a lot growing up, and we not only we we lived in different places, but also. Um, my parents really wanted us to make sure that we sort of experienced things outside the U.S. and sort of had a respect for other cultures and a more of a global sort of viewpoint. So we also did a lot of traveling um, when we were growing up and especially when we, we lived in Europe. Um, so I, I'm very happy that they did that and love those experiences. And I think, you know, for me is, is I think a little bit of core of how I perceive the world and my perception of the world. So I'm, I'm excited. I'm glad they did that. Do you have any uh, examples of how of experiences you had traveling that maybe changed your views or made you think about something in a different way that you hadn't thought of before? Well, I think living when you live in a different country and you're not, I think you begin to see, um, you begin to see, you know, what happens in the United States as far as our propagation of things that are just very U.S. focused. Um, and also gives you a greater pre- appreciation for sort of what we have in the country and the freedoms and stuff that we do. Um, so I think, you know, it, I think you also learn to that there are a lot of other options besides just what happens in the United States. Um, and there's different ways to do things and there are different ways of thinking and there's d- different sort of um, paradigms that people, you know, live their lives on based on sort of primarily where they you know, happen to grow up. Um, at, you know, at most of the time, no choice of your own, just that's, that's the luck of the draw and where you happen to, when and where you happen to be born. Um, so, so, you, you know, those were some, I think some pivotal moments for me, but yeah, I've, you know, and growing up, I've been in the middle of anti-American demonstrations, um, you know, in other countries. And so that definitely has a perspective and you, you have to look at, why is this happening? And the news and the information and the stuff that you're getting about that is very different than it would be in the United States. And so it sort of almost forces you to see a different perspective of what's happening in the United States. Um, we were, you know, we were living in Spain when um, the U.S. bombed Libya, and um, so one of the planes that was actually on its way uh, there actually landed at the base we were on, and what that meant. And you know, the next day at, at our school, we had you know guards and dogs and semi-automatic machine guns at the school because of active threats and those sorts of things. So um, that's sort of a bit of the negative side of it. Um, but the, the, you know, at the same time, it's you know this this richness of different cultures and being with involved with different people and having conversations that you would probably never have with people from all over the world just is this great richness um, that I'm just very appreciative of sort of growing up with. Um, And so, you know, that also comes with uh, a definite appreciation of what we have in the United States and our freedom of press and our freedom of and for and from religion um, and being able to sort of, you know, live the, the, I think, the very sort of privileged life that we do here in the United States. So once you graduated high school, what were your passions and where did you see your life going at that point? Oh, uh, um, so yeah, at graduating high school, I w- well, uh, graduating high school, I was, um, I did my senior year of high school back in the United States um, after living in Spain for four years. And so that was a difficult, t- that was a difficult process coming back to the U.S., um, so just, you know, one, leaving a great sense of friends. And I came back from 
sort of this very worldly view um, back to my senior year of high school was with a uh, private school in Savannah, Georgia, uh, that was all male, um, military focused, uh, and then, and Catholic. So Benedictine monks. Wow. Um, so yeah, it was a, coming back was a, it was an interesting adjustment. Um, so I, yeah, I, <laughs> I got through that year. Um, but, uh, but the, then it was, I had, I was actually had been riding horses, uh, sort of competitively in Spain. And so was sort of interested in doing that when we came back to the United States. Um, but you know, wound up going to, um, wound up not doing that, um, and going to a college, uh, in Georgia that was, you know, uh, about an hour from school. Um, and I quickly became involved in, in student activities on campus. So I was involved in the program board uh, for years and, you know, bringing programs and, and doing co-sponsorship with student organizations and those sorts of things on the campus. Uh, was an orientation leader for several summers. Uh, I was involved in a short time with a campus newspaper. Um, I was in, I was a resident assistant in, in um, on campus in the in residence life department. So I really became super actively involved on campus. And I think, you know, part of in the, it being in this position with the Secular Student Alliance, you know, was I'm sort of you know being able to go back and working with students who are in similar positions, being you know being leaders on their campus and being activists on their campus and being involved. And so it's sort of a, a nice little circle for me of me being involved and in, highly involved in college and being now able to work with students who are somewhat doing some some of the same things. So a nice little um, you know r- relation back to that for me. Were you openly non-religious at that point? Uh, I wasn't. Um, I, I wasn't at that point. I in college. It was actually a, a, I think my first year of college, a history class, world religions history class. Um, that I think was my one of my big points of really starting to examine the Catholic Church and why it did things. And um, and the professor there was you know. We started talking about the church, and you looked at, you know, why it chose to go into these endeavors, the Crusades, and those sorts of things, and why it's, uh, you know, communion, and, um, you know, why the the allies that it made, and why it, it made decisions, and a lot of those came down to money, influence, and power, and had nothing to do with religion. Um, and so that started having me sort of examine my own relationship with the Catholic Church, um, and and look at and look at those things from a different lens. Um, so I think that was the start of the process. I wouldn't know that I sort of put all the pieces together, but yeah, I stopped going to church um, on my own. Um, and so, yes, I think started that separation process there. So, and again, for me, it was sort of a, a long, gradual process. What were you studying academically in school? I was a, a undeclared major for uh, until winter quarter of my junior year. Um, so yeah, I, so I was undecided for a long time. Um, and, and, but, and, you know, and I think being involved, I was being super active and involved. And so that, you know, that, that was consuming a lot of time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did very well in, in classes and, and academics. Um, so, and I fortunately chose, uh, classes that sort of built upon each other. And so, um, you know, I graduated, uh, basically on time. I had to do one additional quarter, but with a a master's in uh, technology um, and printing management. So 
Um, so looking at the whole management side of of uh, the printing industry, um, which is you know you can extrapolate into working with with small businesses and nonprofits and and those sorts of things. But it was a very sort of hands-on, fun, artistic um, side and aspect, and also uh, sort of very business-based as well. I'm always envious of people who you know know from the age of five exactly what they want to do with their life because I'm the same way. I never, you know, I have different passions and different goals and different things I want to do, and I've done various sorts of things. And but I I do have friends who who you know knew from the age of five they wanted to be a pilot or they wanted to do X and and just did it, and it was a straight shot from A to B. So uh, it's always nice to meet other people as well who who you know wanted to do different things and found different ways of doing them. That's that's really great too. Yeah, no, yeah. And I think, you know, a large part of my college experience was being involved on and, you know, in student tech, student affairs and student leadership and stuff on campus. And, you know, and that's, I, when I graduated, I actually went to, um, to the University of South Carolina for my master's in education in student personnel services. And so I worked for 15 years in higher education at, at you know, at college and universities um, working in student student affairs, student leadership, working with student organizations, and those sorts of things. So, I sort of that's that sort of became you know, if you will, that was my major. Um, and so, and really, my first you know, several jobs after graduating, after getting my master's degree. How did you first hear about the Secular Student Alliance? I actually heard of it from a, a recruiter. Um, who was working with the board of directors in helping um, with the job search process. And so um, I had, had worked with the, the recruiter a little bit before, um, and so there was a, a slight bit of history there. Um, and he reached out to me and says, hey, you know, I know a little bit of your background, and um, I know, you know what some of your interests are and your past experience with, with education and student organizations and student leadership. And I, he goes, I think this is something you'd be interested in. Um, so it really started from a conversation with with him on on the organization and sort of what its you know its focus is as well. What were you working on at that point? I was working with the the Gimmons Chorus of Los Angeles uh, with with that, and so I was doing um, a lot of the uh, operational work, um, fundraising and marketing and, uh, for, um, for that organization. And so I think a lot of people in the Los Angeles area know the organization for the concerts that it does. Um, and I was, I, well, I did do a lot of work with the more theatrical side to it. I was also working very intensely with, uh, the youth outreach programs. And so the chorus has a program that's this is its 11th or 12th year now of going into area high schools and doing uh, LGBT education, outreach and awareness, um, as well as music education in uh, a variety of schools. And so when I left, they were about 65,000 students had experienced that um, so far. And, and those are in high schools um, in the greater Los Angeles area. Um, the, the course also has a nationally touring, um, show that they put, put on they, and they actually go into cities across the, the country for a week. Uh, it's a week long residency and do a variety of different workshops with community groups and nonprofits and sort of, you know, uh, in activist circles and it's all very strong anti-bullying and LGBT education awareness, sort of, and, you know, larger diversity awareness, um, and sort of 
it really has a focus and program where it goes in and helps the community identify um, sort of where they want to be, what the what the issues are, and then how to solve those are a key component of, of that entire program. And then while I was with the chorus, I actually started the relationship with the Arts for Incarcerated Youth, um, which is now a, a very active program of the chorus, uh, and going into the youth uh, uh, corrections facilities uh, in L.A. County and doing uh, music education uh, and also in that part by doing LGBT education and sort of help through group dynamics, helping change um, uh, a lot of the impact and hopefully positive impact when the students leave uh, the correctional system um, to reduce recidivism rates and to help you know, form stronger identities and self-esteem and those sorts of things. So um, I'm glad to see that that's really has branched out um, with the, as, the pro, as the program has continued to develop with the course as well. So when this recruiter first told you about, you know, here's this position at the Secular Student Alliance, what were your first impressions or thoughts of, of the SSA um, and what you could kind of provide uh, to them? Yeah, there, there were, uh, if, you know, the first conversations really started, you know, about the job and the organization. And, and you know, I really liked the national scope of the organization. Um, I really enjoyed that, you know, it's, there was finding a place for students to have community and people were like them um, and a place where that they could, you know, uh, be able to have that sort of unique friendship and uh, area. Um, and then sort of the activism uh, component of it and really making sure that we're developing student leaders who are going to go out uh, and, you know, change their communities and be active in their communities and really looking at sort of the, you know, the future leaders uh, within somewhat of the secular movement, but also, you know, within politics and within their communities and those sorts of things. So, I, you know, I think I've always been a staunch supporter of the separation of church and state. Um, and so being able to be, you know, involved and an advocate and supporter of that um, was very interesting to me. And then, you know, being back in involved in higher education and just it's a great dynamic, energetic sort of, uh, you know, work environment. Um, and then also just being involved with, you know, students who are active and wanted to be activists um, and sort of, you know, and leaders in their community was extremely interesting and, and, and welcoming to me. One of the changes, the big changes that has been made since you've come on board has been uh, a geographical change. Can you talk a little bit about the move from uh, Columbus, Ohio to Pasadena? The board of directors and the staff of the SSA probably about five years ago started a conversation about being interested to um, m move the office location. And I think they wanted to be part of a larger um, secular community and, and I think and open to sort of additional resources that other cities may offer. Um, and so part of, you know, the, the search process that I was involved in, um, my understanding is, you know, of course I came from the Los Angeles area. Um, and there was another candidate that my understanding and the end process who was from the East coast. So I think through that process, you know, the organization was going to move either to the West or the East coast. Uh, since I got the position, it moved to the West coast. Um, and just, I think part of being involved in LA is, there's a lot of strong um, uh, sort of local and regional organizations uh, in the Los Angeles area that we are working on, you know, that can be partners for us and resources for us. And we can do collaborations with and sort of strengthen all of us together. 
Um, and then I think for us being on the West Coast is particularly nice in, in working with students um, because, as you know, students on the East Coast or, you know, the central, the mid, the Midwest, as they're sort of finishing their uh, class schedules and finishing their day is when they typically start interacting um, with with uh, the campus organizers in the national office. And so we're here and we're able to you know immediately start responding to them and communicating with them. And so they sort of get some uh, instant um instant help with those sorts of things and sort of the same thing with you know within california we're here we're in the office we're we're sort of able to help them sort of immediately so hopefully that's that's been a great resource uh for the student our students as well as us being much more accessible and much easier communication those sorts of things um so i think the you know a bit of the you know when you make a major change like that um i you know there's it's always a, a difficult process and and there's some, uh, you know, some things, unfortunately, we had to do in, in, in the process, the, the move. Um, but I'm really happy with the, the new staff that we have on um, and the new office and the new sort of collaborations that we're starting to get into. So I think one of the things that that led us to is, you know, we were able we've had probably about 15 of our organizations in the fall um, brought, you know, previewed uh, the new Bill Nye documentary. Um, and that's with a relationship that started for us being in Los Angeles with PBS. So that may have not happened with us being in Ohio. Um, and so a great thing that we're, we were able to bring to, to the campuses because of that. Um, so we're continuing to sort of explore different options, um, you know, with being out sort of in the L.A. area and the resources that that's able to bring to us. So it's sort of fun and interesting. Um, so we've, you know, part of our focus in the fall was really looking at strengthening our chapters. And so we had some great internal growth, um, in the fall semester, uh, with the, you know, dur during the sort of change. So, um, one of our chapters in Missouri tripled in size, one of the Texas doubled in size, um, in Logan, Utah, we have that chapter now has 150 members. Um, so some great internal growth. And since the, since January, of this year, we've actually had 30 new organizations start. So within three months, 30 new organizations. So we're also seeing some nice expansion um, now and putting a lot, a lot of focus into that. So we're seeing those results. So we're really um, happy with the work that we're doing and really, really proud of what's happening on the campuses and what the students are doing. Wow, that's amazing. What are some of the biggest challenges that you're facing uh, running the SSA? I think that we've been very fortunate in the growth and everything that we've seen. We, you know, also recognize that there's areas that our students are facing where that we can help with, and some of the things that are happening on campuses. And I said, you know, I think one of the clear things that happened that's happened over the last year, you know, year and a half, is clearly the new administration and the politics as we currently see them. Um, and I think that the uh, what we look at the the dissolving of the separation of church and state has definitely had an impact on um, our society as a whole, and that uh, clearly has been affecting um, our campuses and especially our college campuses. Um, with you know Betsy DeVos and her um, seemingly relentless um, nature to undo a lot of the protections as far as you know victims of sexual assault. Um, you know, ending some of the programs that help with just, you know, racial demonstration and, and um, women's discrimination on campuses we've been dealing with. 
um, and looking at the you know the programs that they have of undoing financial aid um, all have impact on our campuses and clearly on our students. And so we've taken an active campaign and our students are getting more actively involved politically, which we think is a good thing um, in helping combat that. Um, we've also, I think there's been a bolstering um, recently in our society of religion. Um, and so we've actually seen conservative uh, Christian religions um, realizing that there's been an, a increase in students leaving religion and they have uh, they have come together and, uh, and you know, started collaborating on programs to make sure that students don't leave religion um, and even programs that you know designed to get atheist students to come back to religion. And so and they've been you know they've, they've got a lot of staff and a lot of money, um, that they had been pouring into college campuses, especially within the last year, to help stem, you know, help end the tide of students leaving religion. And clearly that's, you know, that's not going to work. But for us, the financial imbalance of what we have and what they are just dumping in um, to colleges and universities is overwhelming. And our students feel that. And so, you know, when you, you know, people on campus who are, you know, taunting our students and uh, and our student organizations, you know, that takes a big impact. Unfortunately, we're finding campuses are being, you know, they recognize that they're, the populations of non-religious students are growing and they're being supportive and those sorts of things as well. So, and a lot of that comes down to finances and, and money and, and support. And I think in, in organized religion, you have people who tithe and it's automatic assumption that, of course, we need to support this. And I think religion has done a very good job of saying, hey, this is the future generation. We need to continue the conversion process. Um, and, you know, the, I think the secular community in, in part has been really focused on uh, legal challenges and lobbying, which I think is very important. Um, and I think it's been harder for the secular community to see sort of the long-term uh, investment in our youth and really making sure that we're doing, we're doing a lot to support them. So this long-run conversation, you know, after this administration is out, um, we're making sure that we have a really solid base of energized, educated, involved secular students who are going to be the foundation for our organizations, our communities, and, you know, our, our politics for years to come. And one thing is now we're definitely seeing the power of student voices. I mean, looking at Parkland, looking mm -hmm. at the, you know, just what those high school students have been able to accomplish in the past few months. Um, and, you know, people are listening to students now in a way they weren't. And so we really need to support the secular students around the country to make sure that their voices are heard and the things that are happening to them on their local campuses are being addressed and they're finding community in a way that religious groups and religiously identified students find community in that same way. I definitely agree. So just piggybacking on that, where would you like to see the organization in 10 years? Oh, interesting conversation. But, and I think we know and all the demographics continue to show that the, the U.S. and especially youth are becoming more non-religious. You know, they're moving away from religion. And so I think some of the things you mentioned, we did it, you know, I think one of the one thing that re, that religious communities do very well is build community. 
And so for a large part of what we want to look at is, you know, how do we build, how do we build community and how do we build um, sort of ways for students to get involved, interact um, with other students who are non-religious. Uh, so just, be, you know, just because you're an atheist, great. That tells us that you don't believe in, a, in gods or in supernatural. But that doesn't tell us what your values are, and that doesn't tell you what you want to do, and that doesn't tell us how you want to impact your your community. And so I think for our, a lot of what we're looking for is is making sure that students uh, have those structures and those opportunities to come together, to have those conversations, to feel you know to feel that that ownership and that they're part of a, a larger uh, body. Um, and build those relationships and then really start to sort of push that forward and go, okay, how do we want to change this? What do we want to do? And I think one of the things that you've seen sort of with the Parkland students um, and I, you know, is all the students are recognizing that they have this power. Um, and I want, I love that one of the things that the Parkland students are also starting to do right now is make sure that yes, they Parkland, the school, those sorts of things, the community come from a place of privilege and they're recognizing that and going, okay, what voices, what voices and students are out there who have been going through this a lot longer than we have, you know, are the marginalized and on the outside um, and making space for and echoing and lifting up those voices. And so I think, you know, with the secular community, we want to make sure that we are doing that as well, that we're working with others, that other students who are different than us uh, and other students who are part of us and continuing to have those conversations and move that forward. So for 10 years from now, you can really look at, we have this continued expansion of, of non-religious students and a much smaller population of those who identify as sort of atheists and humanists, that we grow that aspect uh, and continue to have them be super involved, super active, um, and then sort of you know, at a place where we can help make this, this world a better place. Kevin, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm happy to. It was a great conversation. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast and would like to support it, please visit patreon.com slash theatheistbook. For more information about the book and film versions of A Better Life, visit theatheistbook.com.